Welcome to the Bullpen Sessions, and I'm Patrick Lillis, and this week our guest is Taby McGar. You're going to get to listen to the conversation. Taby is a great director, and uh, it was a wonderful conversation. I loved getting to catch up with her. Taby actually assisted me about a decade ago, and her career and all the work she's doing is amazing, and it was a lovely conversation because she is, I think, at the peak of her career. I mean, she's directing all over. She's doing plays off-Broadway, doing them in Minnesota and, you know, down in Houston. And and we talked about the traveling. And one of the things that struck me is she talked about how, you know, it gets to the point where she thought, oh, I want to work all the time and I want to travel. And you'll hear her talk about that. And how at some point you start to think like, oh, maybe it'd be good to be in one place. And I was thinking about that because um, in it I said, yeah, you know, every five years or so I sort of evaluated what kind of artist I was and what I wanted to bring as a director. And then uh, five or six years ago I started the farm because it was more important for me to cultivate artists and and run an organization. And... And I put directing a little bit on hold. Not on hold, I just made the priority running the farm and was directing less frequently. And as we are finishing up, the Wild Parrots of Campbell is running and at the Cherry Lane, and we're in the final week of the run. It closes December 21st if you're in the New York area and want to check it out. Um, But I also was remembering, like, oh, right, I love directing. I love it, and I've had an amazing time working on the play, and it was, it was incredible to be in the room uh, and, just, and just create, and have the, the Now Collective was producing it, and it wasn't the farm, and, and thinking like, oh, right, that freedom to just do the art is uh, a joy, and yet I still need some grounding in the institution of the farm. And I was thinking about it because when Taby talked about wanting to to recognizing like maybe it's maybe understanding why you would make a shift, I was like, right, we we do that periodically because we do we need nif- different things. And I'm thinking this is probably the last podcast until the new year. Um, I was thinking as making New Year's resolutions and things that I want to do, it's remembering like, oh, I want to create space for change. I want to create space and time for me to check in with myself to make sure, and and I'm sort of saying it like, you know, we all have our goals and that we get caught up in them, but is it what I want today? And to allow myself to think like, oh, maybe I want something different. Maybe we want to change. Maybe, and what are the actions we can take to create the space so that I can be aware of what I want? Because like, truthfully, I'm like, oh, now that the farm's pretty solid, six years old, I'd like to direct more. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And I'm going to figure that out. But it, but it's in a different place for me than it was, you know, 10 years ago. So as you're thinking about going into the New Year's, it's like, okay, what do I want? Not what did I tell myself I wanted, what path am I on? But like, just allow yourself over the break to think, hey, I've hit these goals and this is what's important to me. And I think that's an important opportunity. Uh, just to take the time for that. And besides that, it was lovely to chat with Taby and just to talk to her 
talk to another director. It's the first time we've had a director in the bullpen session. And uh, where she is in her life and the journey she's on, it's great. And I'm excited to share the conversation with you. Hope you enjoy it. And with that, play ball. an Amtrak yesterday from Providence, Rhode Island, where I split my time because uh, I met my husband up there while I was in graduate school at Brown, and he has a full-time job there. Um, he's associate artistic director at Trinity. So on top of this insane freestyle directing life, uh, which is already hard enough. I've doubled down by having a husband in Providence, Rhode Island. <laughs> and and considering New York your home base, or both home base. It's so confusing. I don't, um, I sort of, my, when people ask me where I live, I sort of say, like, wherever my laptop is. Like, it's, a, I don't know. Like, I was in Providence for four days after coming from Houston for a month. Uh, and then I go to Minneapolis in two months. Like, I just, uh, I sort of live this, like, nomad life. Do you enjoy the nomad life? You know, I, it's funny. I um, I think I am having the career that I really dreamed about when I first knew you. I was like, oh, it would be so cool to be, you know, have a Broadway little career and fly around to all these cities and get flown around and direct plays and open them and then jet off the next day. Um, and it is it is not nearly as romantic as I uh, anticipated it to be. It, there are moments of pure joy, and um, but it's also a lot of work. And I realized... Uh, a year or two ago that I never I never took an interest in arts administration like I just I never wanted to run an institution or run a company um, but I think actually freelance directing is running a company I mean it's like Tavy McGar Productions except there's no staff members right, <laughs> there's you just me <laughs> it's just me um, so uh, it's it's incredibly taxing um, and uh, but has moments of incredible value so uh so it's going good i don't know how long i can how long one can keep this up um Uh, uh, it's funny that's why i wanted to talk to you actually because i thought when i saw you at the atlantic yeah i was like oh you are having the career yeah you wanted to and i i've talked about this before i was about your age uh when i was leaving a job in minnesota Uh and i went i don't want to travel anymore yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) and uh and because for me it was not just the travel and the managing of the stuff that would it would be nice if I was overwhelmed and busy yeah all the time but it was about feeling a lack of community yeah you know I felt and I felt entrenched in every community I went to yeah yeah and the play opens and then I'm entrenched somewhere else yeah for five weeks or whatever it can feel very lonely like I I I feel like I hear from my people who have like real jobs that they like envy the sort of eternal like working with new people new places new projects and I definitely look at their lives and it's like oh you show up to the office with like the same people who you know really well like it's very predictable you have very you know incredibly regular hours which is like a freelance director like ever since my 
career like took uh i just feel i haven't had a day off since that happened because even it's like even days that are off are um consumed with guilt and worry that i'm not working on the the <laughs> project that i desperately need to that i don't ever have enough time for <laughs> that's funny somebody texted me today how are you yeah. doing i said i'm overwhelmed with the feeling that i'm behind all the time yeah. i think I mean, I don't know what it's like in other aspects of the theater, but I definitely feel like freelance directing is just getting comfortable with feeling behind um, and showing up not nearly as prepared as one wishes and hopes. Yeah, and I, I do think that. And I was going to ask, when you said once the career took off, what made that happen? What's the thing that happened that made the next step happen where you felt like, oh, I'm going to have a career or I'm going to work or whatever it is. Yeah. However you want to define, what's the thing that happened that got you to the next step? I mean, there's a very practical thing that happened, which is I directed a show that Ben Brantley gave a rave review in The Times. And I didn't really internalize it at the time that this was like, oh, this is like the practical cornerstone that would unhinge the rest of my career and I have complicated feelings about that like on the one hand I'm really you know grateful I am living the career that I always wanted uh, even if it might not be as romantic and fun as one hopes um, but I'm also like wow it does sort of feel like in a lot of ways he's the gatekeeper and, and what, what, which show was that? That was, oh, sorry, that was Underground Railroad Game oh, at Ars Nova in the fall of 2016. And it was just, it was seriously overnight. And it's sort of like, it's sort of frustrating because you're like, all of a sudden, you know, my door was being knocked on. And it was like, some of those people hadn't even seen the show. They were just riffing off of, well, Ben Brantley or the New York Times, like, gave it a thumbs up. So, therefore, you are now allowed inside this golden gate, and you are now part of the club. And it it was, it's, um, you know, I'm happy, and there's lots of amazing people in that club, and but there's also a lot of amazing people outside of that club. And so I feel weird to be benefiting off of a system I don't necessarily, you know, I hate to look at it just on Ben Brantley, because I'm, you know, I think... Um, I'm super grateful for that, I guess. <laughs> right. But so I'm also like, you're one guy. You're one white guy who's, you know, opinion really does shift shift people's lives. Yeah. I want to talk about, because I, I heard you, I watched uh, Re, the little... Oh, yeah. Re yeah. uh, is a friend of mine. Oh, and, yeah. um and talking about that gate, the, the, the sort of one of the things that the farm does is try to cultivate early career artists who may not have the pedigree for success. Yeah, you know. And I think when you said the club, I think it's interesting because I do think the world, I think the world of theater, institutional theater, works that way. Yeah, there it doesn't always, and there are people outside of it, and they're doing yeah. interesting projects. Um, and like you said, there are great people outside of it. Before I backtrack, I want to ask, what is that? What does that feel like when people are? Who's reaching out to you? Did you? Are they reaching out directly to you? Are they reaching out to representation? Are they? What's happening when that Ben Brantley thing hits the internet? It's both. 
Yeah, I mean, I think my my agent like fields a lot of stuff from cold calls, maybe like institutions or people I really don't I've never known. Um, but then oftentimes there'll be people I like, kind of know, and you know they'd write me or you know, hey, thinking about this or you know it's it comes. I feel like the jobs of directing come from so many different directions that I don't even try to like anticipate it anymore. Um, like things will just shoot up out of no out literally out of nowhere. Um, that sometimes it feels like being in a video game, like just trying to stay aware and open and judging, you know, what are the projects that are best to take and not take and um, are they connecting with me? Like do they really want my directing or you know, is this playwright actually trying to get produced at this theater? Right, and that and your name, you might help them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like if I'm attached to it, maybe, which I'm not even totally sure is true, but like maybe then Neil Pepe would take a second look at it if I send it over. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's like it's navigating, um, it's navigating time and value, uh, and trying to think long term. And how did that? So I'm going to back up. How did that play? How did Underground Railroad game come about? Yeah, I mean, that it's such a mystifying, it's sort of the maybe the myst, most mystifying but most perfect um, answer to, like, how one gets a directing job. Um, somebody dropped out, <laughs> uh, or gratefully um, passed on the project. They had been developing uh, it for, like, four or five years with these two devised, amazing devised performers, Jen Kidwell and Scott Shepard. And I had actually seen it at Philly in the Philly Fringe. I was teaching in Philly, and um, one of my mentors, Joanna Settle, uh, was like, oh, you should go see this play. And I saw it, and I thought it was great. I was like, wow, look at Philly. That's so cool. <laughs> and then eight months later, um, they, uh, Ars Nova decided to pick it up and produce it in their season. And that director was um, more of a teacher and devised um, and leader that way. I think she's also a director, but um, from what I understand, she was like, no, I don't need to go on with it anymore. So suddenly they were in search for a director. And um, I think they offered it to Joanna Settle or talked about it with Joanna Settle and Joanna declined um, and said uh, they should hire me. I think another weird confluence of events is the uh, audience uh, community engagement coordinator at Trinity Rep, um, uh, who I knew, of course, really well from going to grad school. I'd finished grad school about a year and a half prior, had made work with Jen and Scott. And so when my name sort of like rose on the list, I think it was like a circle of, of people that sort of pushed me more in front of them and then they saw a piece I directed in Philly and um, all of a sudden it was happening. They're like, yeah. It's funny, that's, that is actually how I was told when I was 23 that directors get work. Yeah. I was told, like, you're not on the list. Yeah. There's 20 people on the list. Yeah. And what you hope is that, obviously, the first three, you know, George Wolf can't do it. Yeah, exactly. And somebody else turns it down. Exactly. Somebody else turns it down. And then the fourth person mentions your name. Yeah. And then the sixth person mentions your name. Yep. And then, right. you know, right. maybe somebody talks to you and validates exactly. you. Yeah. And I remember being a young director and it was like, how do you get hired? And everyone was like, 
oh, they have to see your work. Like, these artistic directors have to see your work. I'm like, how am I going to get Braden Abraham at Seattle Rep to see my work? Like, what? I don't, A, I don't really have anything going on because I have no career because no one's seen my work. So, it's, you know, it's like a, it's like getting a credit card with zero credit. Um <laughs> But that, but actually, Brayden ended up did end up hiring me, and it turns out it was, it was again, it was like, it was like a like within six months, like two or three people mentioned my name to him, and that was all it took. He had never seen anything. Right in Seattle before. most of the time. Yeah, he. I mean, what's that? He's in Seattle rep, you said. Yeah, he's he's in Seattle. He occasionally comes to New York, but um, you know, three people he trusted, uh, you know, layered on that. It's almost like how they talk about marketing what is it like how many impressions someone right. gets or whatever and, and trying to get it in the same but it's like not something you can control either but then we met Brayden and I and had a, an amazing meeting and like connected really strongly and then that you know that was it I'm gonna ask how you met was he in town yeah well he had heard about me through so many people and or not so many people but <laughs> three people uh and he was like let's get coffee next time you're there i want to talk about what you're interested in and we got coffee and and then i was in his next season it's great yeah and, and when you say what are you interested in you talk about things that ex- do you talk about projects or did you talk about ideas that excite you what was i think in that case i pitched yeah i pitched some plays and then a a classic or two that I wanted to take on, and he responded really positively to all of those things. He didn't pro, he didn't hire me for any of those. He put me on something he needed to produce for a season, which is something I have found. I have a lot of emphasis in graduate school being placed on like pitching and whatever, and um, and I think those skills are very valuable. What I have found is it's pretty rare that artistic directors are picking. Um, director-generated projects. It's actually relatively small. Um, I mean, there's a number of exceptions for which I'm grateful. But, um, you know, they're they're trying to solve this whole other task, Puzzle. which is like subscribers and, um, you know, plays they're interested in and writers they're interested in. So then it becomes sort of a, a dating game. No, it's true. I remember like people are always saying, like, early on, like, you have to have the five plays you want to do. Yeah. And I thought... Okay, but they're not going to do Hamlet because I'm hungry for Hamlet no, at that moment. And they're no. not going to pick me no. to do their Hamlet at that moment. Right, 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 right. And then the more, I think the other advice, and this is something to talk about, is to, you know, work with new playwrights, get to know playwrights, get to know playwrights. And, um, and then when, I sit down to, when you sit down to talk about the plays you're interested in, they may not know them because they've never been produced. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, right. So I'm curious I'm curious about cuz it's and I think you're right about the pitching cuz they're going to solve a problem. Yeah. But you work on a lot of new plays. Yeah. And last time I think when we it was might have been emailing or talking. I know when we were talking at the Atlantic you were going off to do a workshop of a musical. At ART. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. just very briefly interacted. But the other thing you said is, uh, it might have been an email, I don't remember, but you said, oh, I'm, we're hoping to get a workshop of something. And I was curious about that, just a new play. And when you said, we're hoping to get a workshop, I went, uh, actually, I asked a couple of younger directors than me, yeah. what would you like to know? And then one of the questions was, at what point do you sign on to a new play 
and how do you stick with it and how do you decide oh, this is the play I want to stick with and try to find a take it through the process to find a home yeah um, that's an infinitely nuanced <laughs> uh, there's an infinitely nuanced answer to give I'll try to give the most basic version which is um, you know I think of new project development as dating uh, which is you know did we hit it off or not? And I try to think of it just in those terms. And more recently, that's been, I'm trying to hone in on that even more. So when you say hone in on, you mean be really honest, like, really am honest. I getting on it? Yeah. Long? Yeah. Because sometimes it's easy to get swayed with like, oh, that project is at that theater and I, I have always wanted to work at X theater. Or sometimes I'll like love the play but then the meeting with the playwright, I walk away with sort of a, like, a, I don't know, voice in my head, you know? And it can be, and it's hard, because it's just, it's like dating. It's like, what if, if the first date is bad? What if that's the love of your life, but the first date is bad? Um, <laughs> right, uh, like, how do you know or stick it out? Um, so I try to I try to thrive on instinct. And, and um, I also, you know, it's like I am so... I live in the, like, deathly fear of becoming a repetitive artist. One of my favorite parts about being an artist and one of my favorite things about being in an art form is watching how artists grow and change over time. And I sense with real instructing in particular, it's very easy to become repetitive. You get known for that thing, and then the marketplace wants that thing, and it can be really easy because you're very busy. So you don't have a lot of time and breaking new forms and challenging yourself is emotionally and physically and time and labor wise very expensive. So it's very easy to fall back into tricks and habits. And I think I'm definitely choosing projects with people who are, <clears throat> you know, taking big risks and failures. I mean, I'm at a point in my career where I can do that financially. Um, Mickey and I can take on the riskier stuff and I don't need to take the projects that already have homes like I can I can branch out a little bit um, so it's like a it's like an alchemy of things it's like is this going to challenge me um, did I get along with this playwright am I going to be able to push them in the ways this play needs are they going to be able to push me in the ways I need um, and do I like the play and do I care about the story right and I think it's interesting, that thing about, are, am I going to be able to push them? I think push me, I feel like I have that. that If that's not happening, yeah. then I don't really want to do it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I want to be pushed. Yeah. But if I can push them is also hearing that is, I think, to understand that you want that because you want to know that you're both in it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Doing yeah. it. And... Uh, it's interesting when you said the thing about taking risk because my perception is I saw Skin of Our Teeth. Is that your thesis? Oh, right. That the thesis? I forgot you saw that. And, uh, and I thought, which was great and exciting. And I've, correct me if I'm wrong, it felt like that project got you working in different, that particular project got you working in different theaters. Am I yeah, no, no, I, you're onto something. I mean, it, so so I did it as my thesis in 
graduate school. And um, it like weirdly got picked up by two academic institutions. So University of the Arts of Philadelphia, which I ended up teaching at, um, took it on. So I basically did that production in a different space with a cast of their students. I was working with my MFA students there. I was working with their undergraduate students. And then I was also asked to do the same thing separately at Fordham University in New York. Um, and what was great about it is that um, I, had work, I had work, which I think for directors, actually directing at the undergraduate institutions are great ways of practicing your crafts and also um, academic institutions tend to have some money, <laughs> which is nice. I mean, it's, you know, if you're not going to you know, buy a condo with it, but uh, it's not bad considering you're fresh out of school. Um, so, yeah, I would say I don't know if Skin of Our Teeth like directly led to XYZ, um, but it certainly uh, kept me working, which I was think the what thing. It, I, the reason I brought it up is because I thought when you said breaking form and artistic challenge, I thought it was sort of a, for me, it was a great introduction to any, for, for someone to see your work because they knew if they were hiring you, they weren't going to get a play that takes place like in a proscenium. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't going to get this yeah. generic production yeah. that had been done for some sure. other way. For sure. And I think just knowing that that's a good entryway because to know that you're going to be called into the room and they're going to know that, like, oh, this is an artist who's thinking literally outside the box yeah. <laughs> yeah. with that production. And I think yeah. that, that is, a, for me, an exciting thing because that's what you want to know. You have that freedom in the room just when you're talking with the artistic directors. Yeah, totally. Know. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely true. And there have been, like, some people over the last, like, that production was, like, spring of 15, which, of course, now feels like a decade ago. Uh, and there have been some, like, random handful of people that saw that production that I didn't even know about. And, uh, you know, they'll reference it offhandedly. And, um, but I think the greatest gift of Skin of Our Teeth is it, it made me a better artist. It made me a better director. Um, and really helped me hone in on my, like, lifelong aesthetic questions. And what, Not to have to answer that aesthetic question, but when you say changing form... What is the aesthetic question? What do you what do you want it? What drives you? What motivates you? Because I I yeah. say that because I think for I'm now fifty and so but when I first started directing, I sort of measured like every five years, like my philosophy changed or mm -hmm. shift, and I was clear mm -hmm. of it. Now I think my what's important to me has shifted dramatically, and it has not to do with about how I approach the room of the rehearsal room, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. more about more about running the farm theater and cultivating okay. early career artists and that investment in that. And uh, and I know that that's something else has shifted about that. But I used to be able to measure, like, mm -hmm. oh, at this period I was definitely doing this, and now I'm interested in this, and then, oh, th this is important. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I'm curious what the aesthetic, when you say that it helped shape that. Yeah. Um, I'd say it's so hard to sum it up because I feel like I'm working on so many different projects that have different questions um but I think the thing that drives me is uh theater's ability to unlock the imagination and there's this great book ugh, I'm gonna fail you because I can't remember the name of it um 
It's a book actually about social justice activism. It actually has very little to do with theater. Um, and this person, I think it's Letterer, uh, did a lot of social activism work globally. And he, I studied him in graduate school. This teacher, Eric Enemine, gave him to us. And um, it basically said that the work of social justice is the work of the imagination. And he gave a sort of brief um, further delve into it by saying that's why the arts are so important, that the work of social justice is the work of imagining a system that is not present. It is an active imagination. And uh, that has always, because, you know, you've always circled around this, like, is theater important? Can theater change the world, et cetera? You're always circling, I feel like, as a director, at least I am, like, circling around what that means or the answer. And I, that's sort of the closest I've honed in on. Like, I don't know that theater is going to, like, push the election in the way that I want in 2020. Um, I think that, you know, politicians and activists and um, journalists are, uh, you know, and the people on the ground are going to do that. But I do think theater can help imagine a world that addresses um, racism and white supremacy and... um, and gender problems and uh, by addressing these systems of power um, and imagining our way through them and unlocking, um, you know, imagination is, is stepping outside of your real life present. Like this is a table, this is a bottle of water. It does something different because it's both real and not real when you're watching it. So it, it unlocks this alternate reality, which takes you out of your present circumstances. And if we can do that, we can feel emboldened to make better, bigger, more community-oriented choices. I love that, and uh, and I I think that's a great way to look at the work. And I'm it's funny. This, I do not know when this episode's going to drop, uh, but this Sunday, a <laughs> friend that we both have, Courtney Wetzel. Oh yeah, oh Courtney. Does this thing? I'm going to does this event at a gallery in Red Hook where she asked writers to come in and write piece a piece inspired by a piece in the gallery. Oh, it's cool. the fifth year. I've written a piece and I'm doing it. I've done it already by the time you're listening to this, but on imagination. And because I have been getting on this kick lately about imagination, in my mind, imagination is what created the universe. Yeah. Because there was nothing and then there was something. Yeah. And I've gone on this whole thing. But my reason at the end of the, at the, end of the piece is exactly what you said, is because... In, within imagination, we can picture yeah. a world that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. And until it does, I'll create it in the, the theater. Yeah. Yeah. And allow you to imagine that it does exist. Yeah. And I think it's a great way to approach the. It's a great for me. I'm like, oh, that's a good motivating reason for a lifetime to yeah. keep doing the work because yeah. we have to keep imagining new worlds because we can always do better. Yeah. Always. You know. Always. No, no matter where you are with it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I think that uh, I asked that because when you said, oh, I want to keep doing form, changing forms, I'm like, I don't think, and I'm speaking as myself, and I don't want to, I don't think I have, you intentionally look at a project going, how can I do this different than the last no. time I did it? Yeah, yeah. But why am I doing this piece? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's actually that Atlantic show that I saw you at, which was this beautiful play by this new writer, Abby, Abby Rose, Rosenbrock. 
and um, it like take basically takes place in a living room. And I remember I met with a playwright about a play, and they were like, "I'm really glad you took the meeting because I didn't think there was like one section of the play that was like very much like a standard living room play." And they're like, "I didn't think you, I think you did, I didn't think you did naturalism." And I was like, "Well, I do naturalism when I'm interested in it. I'm actually." only interested in humans i'm only interested in humans and how we build our world and tear it down that's all i'm interested in now that that can take many different forms and if it happens to be a play that's set in a halfway house (laughs) it really only takes place in the living room and has something has a question or a sharp and incisive eye on something incredibly nuanced and difficult that reflects itself in language, because I think language is the other driving force in my love for the theater. And uh, so that, so I took this like living room play, which I guess to everyone's surprise, but learned so much doing it. And it's sort of like every production, I learned something and I folded in for the next and folded in for the next. So that's why it's, I like taking different things. And when you say folded in the next, my next, one of the next questions, what do you think today, when you think back to when you started, what do you think you carry into the room today, whatever room that is, yeah. when you're starting, uh, or at any point, that you didn't have when you were beginning your career or beginning to work? I think I carry my questions more confidently. And I don't, I don't walk into a room... And I'll just, I'll like never be this director. I just have sort of given up. I feel like growing up, that was like the value. It was like a director who comes in and like tells everyone what to do. And it's just this genius or whatever. I'm just not that person. Um, what I do is I, I know I know what I'm interested in. I walk into a room and my gut knows why I'm interested in this work. My gut knows why I brought all these actors into the room my gut knows why I hired the set designer. My gut knows. I know, almost without being able to, inartic- to articulate it, I know what experience and questions I want the audience to be thinking as they watch the play. And all of my work is designed for that. Like, what can I do with all of these people here in this room to make that the most potent and powerful experience? And... I feel like the only difference between now and then is I do it more confidently, but not cockily, because I think my questions lead me. My I don't knows lead me. Um, and I just I just create a room of really genius people all after the same questions. Search. Yeah. And I lead with generosity. Um, and that's like sort of my primary goal in a process. Not that I don't want it to be hard and rigorous, and I think there's great room for artistic argument. Um, but I, I come in confidently with my questions now, and I think it was just a process of um, getting rid of that other shit. That <laughs> thing of I'm supposed to know, I'm supposed yeah, to know. Yeah, and the, yeah, which was, like, which was like so the value and like so like the model of directing that I had experienced um for so long and or 
I don't even know if I was ever like really in the room with it because you were like a, I assisted Patrick because <laughs> uh, you weren't even like that. But it's just like this assumed way that a director is supposed to be. And once I went to graduate school and was given time and space to like really hone in on my own voice and listen to that gut instinct more and more, and then I could be confident about what I was pursuing. It's fun. I'm glad I wasn't that way because I talk about it all. The most empowering thing I ever saw was somebody I assisted. Yeah. 23. Yeah. Same same person yeah. who said, middle of the room, and the person we were doing a Shakespeare play, they're a genius. And, yeah. But when they went, I don't know, let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought, well, if he doesn't know, that's good because I don't yeah. either. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but it was so empowering to the room that it was great. And, um, and it's interesting because I think you have to, it is like walking out without a net, you know, yeah. just trusting that we're <laughs> we're looking. Yeah. And we might fail. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not going to fail. Doesn't I don't know. And, and questioning, like you were saying, doesn't mean anybody's unprepared. You've all done the work. Yeah, 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 but yeah. But you're all still going for that yeah. thing. Yeah. And... Uh, and I think it comes with not trust that it's all going to work out because if you, like you said, cockily, yeah. uh, you know, you're not walking in the room knowing like, oh, I can, it's going to work out. It's that willingness to go, I know that I'm going to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody else in the room is going to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it's, it's also, you know, worth knowing that there was like quite a hurdle in being a woman, like being able to take up that. I wanted to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Being able to take up that that space is like, you know, it it's not that's not what the culture. You know, like even though I had like great liberal supportive parents, it you know it's not what the culture told me was. I didn't assist a woman or see a woman directing for way too long. Um, and certainly, I mean, it's still bad. Like you look at Broadway or any. I mean, not even Broadway, but like. I think Operator is doing better, but it's still, you know, it's still a, a heavily male-dominated field. So it's hard to know. It's hard not to. It was hard for a long time not to feel like an imposter, and a woman being able to take up space with her voice and her thoughts and opinions is an enormous challenge. And also to come in confidently, questioning as opposed to. The patriarchal way of directing, which is what I think. I mean, I think that style of directing makes people feel comfortable because it resembles our natural systems, which is like man comes in, man tells what to do. We are confident. We make something good. Go, humans. Uh, Instead of coming in with like a a shared more. And it's not that I sit around and, you know, just like let other people make the decisions. Like I don't just, you know, I'm not like, yeah, whatever you guys want. Um, but I come in trying to find everyone on equal terms, knowing we all bring gifts to this and knowing that the best part of theater is collaboration, which is one plus one equals three. It's not the thing you were going to come up with by yourself in that rehearsal room. It's not the thing I was going to bring to that rehearsal room. It's the magic that happens when the two of us come together and we make a third thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I don't want to lose, I, I don't want to lose track of the, the, I don't, the, about being a woman oh, yeah. in the room because, Really, I do think there's a change happening. And when you talk about the patriarchal society directing, I do think actually great. There are very few directors 
who are great that aren't collaborative and inclusive. I don't think, I do think at the next level, lower tiers, there's a lot of do this, yeah. do that, you know, but yeah. I do think at the, the highest level, it's collaborative, in my experience. Um, but what is that? Because when you said it at the college collaboration project that the farm does, the commission's playwrights, is we've made a commitment for the first six years to commit to commissioning women female playwrights because they need, because I recognized six years ago that this study that came out in like 2012 or nine or whatever it was, was right that women playwrights don't get produced. I knew they didn't get produced as much, but they don't get, it's unconscious bias that's there. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I can't predict who the directors are, but I will say for the first three years of that program yeah. at the colleges, yeah. they were all male directors. Yeah. I didn't pick them. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, that's not, it's got to change at that level for mm -hmm. it to change at the higher level. It has to change at every level, and mm -hmm. people need to see representation in all forms. But what is, what, when you say that, what is, now it's different. I got to imagine it's different because of your, resume and where you've worked, maybe I'm wrong, but when you were first entering meetings and rooms and things, did you feel an unconscious bias? Did you feel like, or is it, or is it something that's just ingrained yeah. in you? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think I still did and I still do. Like, even though some of the numbers have gotten better, it's hard to know both in gender and in race if this is like a fad. Um, it's so recent. Um, and as I like work with institutions, I still run up against um, problems that, you know, are like, the, you know, these are deep seated, like, like legacies of um, patriarchy and racism that are in the bones of these institutions. And when the people, the institutions are still not diverse and uh, either gender or race, you know, there's still, there's still going to be issues. Um, so I, so I think it has happened and is still challenging. Um, I think the thing I feel the most is to know, is to not think of myself as a, as a diversity hire. There's definitely like, when I go into some meetings, I'm like, oh, I know you might have wanted X, Y, Z, but you know you had to hire me because I'm a woman and a person of color. Like I know, you know, and... Um, I feel that way a little bit less so, but I definitely still walk into rooms and I'm just like, I know why I'm here. I know that on some level I'm checking off boxes for you. And that's not always the case. Sometimes artistic directors feel like they're, they genuinely, you know, have seen my work and believe in it and et cetera, but not always. I still feel like sometimes I walk in the room and I'm like, you're just doing this so that you don't get called out by American Theater Magazine. <laughs> like, I know, you know. Or I all know. of social media. Or all of social media, yeah. Which, like, do I want people to do it so they don't get punished? No, I want them to do it because they genuinely think it makes the work better, which I do think it does. I think diversity makes the actual work better. Um, uh, but I guess I'd rather they do it out of fear than not do it at all. Well, the thing that I was going to pick up on is when you said fad, because I think it is so, such an intense, acute awareness right now that I do, I don't think this level of intensity can stay, uh, which is, 
interesting because I don't know good or bad, but no matter what, because seeds of change are happening, they're going to grow. You know, like we may not be as acutely aware 50 years from now, but hopefully we don't have to because 20 years ago we could have counted the women directors on our one hand, yeah. you know, who were yeah. working and, and uh, directors of color on less than one hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and so I think that's, that change is going to continue to grow even if the fad yeah. shifts a little bit just because of change is happening and because you're because yeah. because you're directing because and then somebody is seeing you directing and then yeah. somebody's assisting you directing yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and and other people uh so i i'm hoping that i hope so too you know i'm i'm, I'm so hoping too. i actually i it's funny i want to say oh i believe that but you know we also all know like in, in my world i'm like Obama was president, the world was getting better, and people got health care, and now it pendulum swings in yeah. another direction. And... Yeah. And I'm, yeah, I mean, I think I would be more hopeful if I felt like it was happening in other corners of our world, but it's like, even though American theater has so long to go, we're, <laughs> we're ahead of politics, we're ahead of banking, you know, like white <laughs> men still legitimately have all of the power, you know, because they still hold all the money. So, you know, I, I sense American theater changing, but without the whole structure shifting, I don't know if I, I don't know if I trust it. I don't know if this is just a tidal wave, but the actual ocean is still a problem. I don't know. I, I hope, I hope. You know, whatever a, whatever the podcast is in 20 years, you and I will talk about yeah, it. We'll good. see how it, how okay, it, how it yeah. happened. You know, yeah, we'll be yeah, like, yeah. oh, the seeds did grow or oh, all the garbage went back to shore and they're in charge again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We'll see. But I think the key is talking about it to continue talking about it. So it, it is. It came up. It was interesting. It, uh, another interview uh, it came up talking to Liza and talking about being a Latina actor and the importance of that. And I think like that, when I think about early career, it's realizing that, you know, right now I think there's an, an acute awareness, but also like that does impact everything. Yeah. And, and, and I think we want to think, you know, you're an undergrad, you're in college, you're just yeah. starting out, everybody yeah. can do everything. But I think there's, you have to have an awareness. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm curious. Yeah, you have to have an awareness, and I'm, I'm just glad just to talk about it, and happy to talk about it more because, um, because it does impact everything. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I'm gonna jump to. Yeah, don't jump. jump. <laughs> uh, when you think about early career, not, when what would you, what advice? What would you tell either yourself? And I think you know it's funny you. You got the career you pictured, so maybe you're like, okay, <laughs> no, it may not be exactly how you pictured, but or what would you tell somebody today who's 23, 24? Yeah, it's funny. I, always, I get asked this question relatively frequently now, and I always suffer a small amount of anxiety because... Uh, there's nothing that's going to come out of my mouth that won't have been said before and won't feel cliche. Because uh, there's really only one way 
to do it. What's the way? Do it. Right. Just work. That's the that's the only thing, you know, like I, I don't if I could have gone down another career path, I would have. My twenties were hard. I was not I wasn't getting any of those fancy fellowships. I didn't get any of the I got to assist Patrick Lewis, but I got none of those like fanny fancy assisting jobs I you know I got nothing I was working five part-time jobs and like you know assistant assistant directing when I could stage managing I stage managed a lot which is how I met Patrick Um, I'm gonna jump on that and say because I'll give you a little time to think about doing it also but uh we did we met to stage manage the same production you assisted me on later when it moved um and I th- and it's interesting because I remember actually walking maybe in this neighborhood oh, right, and talking to you right, right, right. about uh, – probably wasn't in this neighborhood because that's where Center Stage yeah, was. Um, and talking about that exact thing, about fellowships and assistantships and what yeah. you wanted to do. And, and, um, and I, I was curious about – I was thinking about it going, you – there's also doing the work, but you. I think you also, at that time, had an awareness that it was important for people of a caliber that you wanted, that you admired. I will say, I remember the name you mentioned at the time because we were walking up a street. It's very funny. It's like 12 years ago. I'm but it was no, it was Ann Bogart. Oh yeah. You, oh, it's right, not right, something right. to be scared about. Yeah, You're yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. want to be in a room with somebody like that. I want to be an artist like that. I yeah, want to, yeah, you know. Yeah. And um, still never met her. What? Still, still haven't met her. met her. If you're when you're listening, because you will be, because it's gonna <laughs> podcast is gonna explode. Um, <laughs> you should meet Tabby. Um, but it was, but it was that environment, and I think that you were talking about. And I mean, we talked about strategies and things about that. Yeah. But I was like, I remember <laughs> seeing a play of yours at that time that you directed. God, which one? Orson Shadow. Oh, right. Oh, my God, right. You came all the way out to Queen's <laughs> Theater in the Park, you generous, generous human. <laughs> basically a community theater production. Like, it was, yeah, I learned so much on that. But you, yeah, that was, uh, but you also had an awareness then of, like, trying to make sure, because I think there's something about doing the work, and I get, I get, ner- the reason I want to talk about it is because you were aware of how far out you are hmm. that you still doing excellent work, and trying to get people to see it. Yeah. But people whose opinion mattered to you so that you could work at places you wanted to work, yeah. with people you wanted to work. So I think there's something about do the work to grow, yeah, 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 do the yeah. work to get the confidence. Yeah. But you still have to have an eye on who's, uh, what's the community who's going to see it, who's supporting yeah. you, where do you want to... What do you want to build out of yeah. doing it? Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. I think there's part of that that's – I don't want to say careerism because I think there's something about wanting to work – for me, I still want to work with the best people. Yeah. You gave me a good note after that. You said, that couch might have been better on, an, on a diagonal. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing is is do the work and then I, – I mean, I – it's tough, man. That show was tough because we were like all commuting, like, and two hours or something to like, get out to this. It was like even we rehearsed even far, almost Long Island, 
was we had like a free space in a church basement or something. And, um, but like that project and then Dirty Talk, you know, both times, which is the show I did with Patrick. Like I was so young, God, I was like, what, 22, 23. Um, but I am, like I am a collection of all, I'm, I'm a collection of all pieces that I learned along the way. And I'm a composite now of a lot of them, given my age. Um, but that's all. The, that That is you being formed as an artist. Is in, you know, It's like a piece of raw pottery and then the impressions of it along the way. And then it just takes a long time to be a director. And I was lucky insofar as I knew that early on and I don't know if someone told me or I just intuited it but I was like it's gonna take a long time for someone to hand me a million dollar production like it's gonna take a long time no one's giving that to me when I'm 25 they might not even give it to me when I'm 30 so I knew I had to play the long game and be really patient and it's not saying I never like lost it Sometimes, you know, my fifth time applying to the drama league residency and getting rejected and not even, you know, getting a finalist <laughs> call that it was like, oh, this must be the world telling me no. But it wasn't, you know, because um, I don't know, I guess it worked out. But uh, everyone's paths directing is so different. And so, you know, it's getting a drama league residency does not mean it's going to change your life. Um, it doesn't legitimize you in any way. Um, a lot of people that were winning those drama leagues while I was losing don't work anymore. Um, which I don't, you know, say mean-spirited, but just, like, seeking um, seeking approval and legitimacy is obviously something you're going to do as an artist because you want people to, like, you're in this crowded field and you want people to say, yes, you belong here. Um, but that... If that's a false it's a false um it's a false comfort right actually. there's no one seal that's going to do no. that and it's uh it's a, it's a much deeper process of being formed as an artist it's a mix of skill for me it's very spiritual it's connecting with mentors it's being alive and awake as a citizen of the world um it has nothing to do with whether or not women's project lab chose you or not <laughs> just going to list off all the all things the that was that rejected for, for years, <laughs> for a decade, a uh, decade or more. But you're, I think what's really important is that what's really important for me to remember and everyone is like a rejection is not the world telling you you don't belong. It, it's like we have four slots. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah, you're yeah, going to yeah. find – and I think uh, confidently to say I think you find where you belong. And sometimes it doesn't happen. Somebody else talked about that, I, I, that they're incredibly talented people who, who don't find that moment of luck in that community and that opportunity. And it happens, you know. It's, but it also happens that if you – that you will find your tribe and your place. Yeah. You know, I think you went to grad school. It seemed to be a yeah. good place for you. Yeah, it was. Yeah. You know, it seemed yeah. To be, and it seemed from, – from the outside eye, it seemed to be the right place. Yeah, you know, you it know? was. Yeah. yeah. And I think if you had gotten those other things – you wouldn't yeah. have gone there. That's true. I think that's really true. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, 
I can be good. Are you good? I'm good. This thanks was for so, having me. Thanks for coming. This was so... I'll also say, can I say one last thing? You can. Maybe for the young career directors. I can almost exclusively trace my entire career to Patrick Lillis. <laughs> it technically goes one step further in our friend John Urilli. Yes. Who, there's this random community theater in Carborough, North Carolina, which I actually love. Um, Carver Art Center that was doing this like one minute play festival. It was the first time I'd ever been hired to direct, or not a one minute, ten minute play festival. <laughs> um, first time I'd ever been hired to direct. So randomly got the script by John Lee the name of which I totally escapes me. Love you, John. Can't remember. Uh, this is you I'll know, get it from him. Two thousand two, I think. And I was doing an internship. I had to go to New York and do an internship, and he recommended I do Labyrinth Theater Company. I didn't get the internship at Labyrinth Theater Company, but he connected me with you, right? Yeah. And I then was, I stage managed that I was doing play. Puzo's The Dirty Talk. Yeah. I think I we worked, I think I got paid like $30 <laughs> to stage manage this great play like with you and Puzo. And then um, you got me the a production assistant with, Rick Steiger, as you recommended me. I was trying desperately to get in the public. They wouldn't have anything to do with me uh, as a director, for sure. And then you recommended me Rick Steiger, who was stage managing Mother Courage and Her Children, directed by George C. Wolfe with Meryl Streep, where basically all summer I just got Meryl Streep coffee and watched George C. Wolfe direct. It was like the greatest first graduate school experience of my life, from which almost everything stemmed insofar as... I don't, it just all kind of happened once I was at the public, like stage managing, but then it took a long time, but eventually got a little bit of um, uh, directing-ish work, like like directing observer of the Shakespeare. And I, I can almost, it would be fun only for me to like make a map, but I think it all comes comes to that. I, I am glad. Uh, you said it, but it's also true. It's the thing that I wanted to say is that like, you don't know what's going to happen. I could trace mine yeah. from a college production. Somebody casually, a Mary Gordon novelist, casually, I used her son in the Caucasian chalk circle mm. that I directed, who was like four at the time, and mm. she liked how I treated her kid. And she said, uh, what are you doing after graduation? I have a friend in Portland who's an artistic director. I don't know what the path of a director is, but you should write to him. And like I interned there and then I, da, 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 you know. Oh, and so yeah. when you did it, I thought, yeah, you don't know where it's going to come from. But if you get in the room with people who are like John Yearly connecting you to me, and I yeah. remember very specifically yeah. you wrote to Michael Puzo and myself saying you should meet well. baby. Um, and I'm now reconnected with John Yearly in are the last you? couple of years and we're really good friends. And, no. Uh, he will be thrilled to listen. And Rick Steiger oh, was our 10th guest on the podcast. Oh, really? Oh, shoot. I have <laughs> to listen to that episode. One. I have to he's, listen to that. He is great. He's the best. This is amazing. I'm pretty sure I was a terrible stage manager for Rick. But I wrote to him recently, and he he, he said I was not, which I thought was super generous of him. The whole time I just wanted to be a director. So. Well, he knew that. Yeah, he knew that. Yeah, because yeah, I'm sure I told him that. Yeah. But I was like, you should be in the room.
great to talk to Tavy, and I loved at the end she talked about how she could track everything back to, well, our friend John Yearly, who's a great playwright, and her introduction, him introducing her to us for a production of the Dirty Talk that I was directing at the time, and and it's been it's great because I do think we can track our all of our career and all of our opportunity, and that we are, as she said, a culmination of everyone along the way who's formed us as artists, and. It's great to remember that because everything builds to the next, to the next, to the next, and you don't know what's going to have the impact on your career, on your life. And sort of what I was talking about at the beginning of the pod at the introduction of just to remain open and remain open to where you want to go and, and, and remain open to possibility. And with that, I want to just say thank you uh, for listening and as we're turning into the new year, our, our next episode will probably be in a couple of weeks. Um, but if you've, I have to do this for the farm. If you enjoy listening, we're doing an end of the year campaign. If you want to support the farm, you can go to www.thefarmtheater.org and donate to support the Bullpen Session podcast. I'd love that. Also, Love it if you go on iTunes, give us a rating. That seems to help. The five-star rating helps for listening. And most importantly, if you're enjoying what you're hearing and uh, you find it valuable, to tell someone because we'd love for as many people to listen as possible. Um, But mostly just wishing you a good break over the next couple of weeks. I hope you get a chance to relax uh, and reset for yourself. And... Uh, if you have any thoughts you want to share about the new year, about things you'd like to hear us talk about, email me at bullpen at thefarmtheater.org. And with that, I'm just going to wish you a very happy new year. And we are out. <laughs>